This is a MacKillop Farm Management Group podcast. We acknowledge and respect the traditional owners of the ancestral lands, Potterwich to the north, Jawajali to the east, Bowendick to the south and Meetung to the west of the Limestone Coast region. We acknowledge Elders past and present and we respect the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of Aboriginal peoples to country. Welcome to The Prosperous Farmer, a podcast telling the stories of farmers in the Limestone Coast and Western Victoria. I'm Meg Bell, and today we're joined by consultants Cam Nicholson and Sam Bai, who are here to help us demystify carbon farming. Welcome, Sam, and welcome back, Cam. Cam's a leading agribusiness advisor and is passionate about boosting profitability and productivity, providing advice on animal and pasture systems and decision-making. He and his wife Fiona run a beef and sheep farm on the Bellarine Peninsula, turning off cattle for the long-fed feedlot market and sheep for fine wool. Cam has been measuring carbon and implementing sustainable practices on his own farm and with his clients since the 1980s and brings a wealth of knowledge and practical experience about carbon to us today. Sam's passionate about sustainability and real solutions. He's experienced in research agronomy, marketing and sales in companies and startups with a purpose. His knowledge in the carbon industry comes from previous roles with carbon service agents and a long association with sustainable agriculture in his 20-year agribusiness career. Sam, I'm going to go to you first. Tell us a bit about how you first got into agribusiness and consulting. Well, I suppose I got sick of high school and went and pushed a broom around at an elder store in Launceston, Tasmania, like so many of them do. So, yeah, that's really where it began. I guess followed my nose a bit through that, but always had a kind of an association with farming and an appreciation for it um, family had had farms so always kind of and, and grew up on a small farm so I always enjoyed being around it and was pretty keen to make that my career so tell us a bit about that career so far what's brought you to this point yeah so um, starting out in input sales so getting that real um, sort of frontline experience of dealing with growers every day uh, seasonally through their businesses uh, and then into research agronomy and then eventually found my way to university after a gap decade. Bachelor of Business but was able to do a course on sustainability and ethics and really got quite passionate about sustainability after that. So focused on really staying in the agribusiness but hunting out opportunities to contribute to sustainability on farms. In various roles we're getting more in more research but especially interpreting research into good resources for for salespeople and, and for for farmers so everyone could really understand each other I guess and through marketing and then a bit more in the more strategy and, and key account management side in in the input sector. Cam tell us a little bit about how you got into consulting. I probably followed a, a pretty classical pathway I had Six year, five to six years with the Victorian Department of Agriculture, which I think when I was going through in the 1980s was the best training or the best apprenticeship you could ever do because of the opportunities that the department offered then. And I just happened to be presented with an opportunity to go out privately. It was a odd sort of a thing. It was with a land care project with sponsorship from Alcoa, the aluminium company, who were involved in land care and wanted to uh, have some investment in landscape improvement and in particular pasture improvement and they were looking for an agronomist to help in that space and so I jumped ship from the department started doing that that was in the early 90s and been in consulting ever since 
Fabulous. Sam, we're here to talk about carbon today. The carbon system's really complex. Can you help us understand and maybe explain to us the basic concepts and drivers of the carbon system? Yes, it is complex. I guess I wasn't there at the start, to, <laughs> so I've had to come in and start at the complex end and work the way back. But really, it begins and ends with, with emissions. It, it's the identification many decades ago of science, from scientists that there was CO2 concentration increasing, the atmos- in, increasing in the atmosphere, and that really is the, the graph of that increasing concentration really mirrors exactly human beings' burning of fossil fuels. And, concentration of fossil fuels so to take that to the next step really countries and governments wanted to understand exactly what their contribution was so they began began to count it and then companies were brought on board to count their contribution to this as well because and the driving force of that really is that the climate climate scientists have looked at this evidence and said well this could be a problem for us and, and then these are the reasons why and we now term that as climate change. So it's really in the early 2000s where uh, after the Kyoto Protocol that companies and governments started to get more organised and and put strategies around these things. And then somewhere along the line economists got involved and decided that there'd be a market-based solution rather than the understanding side, this is what are we going to do about it side. So we started to attach, uh, put this idea in of of, um, pricing this pollution to create incentives and disincentives to reduce that that emissions load and it's really just evolved from this very high level very large companies and governments and over the last 20 years it's just evolved down the line down the line down to really small business level so that's what we're what we're dealing with or not dealing with but that's what we're we're working our way through now is that last really last 20 years of evolution of that of that driver What's behind farmers needing to count our carbon? So we've been identified in agriculture as a pretty significant source of emissions and food's a pretty important part of human society so that sort of that's kind of stands to reason if it's human activity that's causing this problem well feeding ourselves is a pretty significant human activity so that's it's really self-evident we've identified our largest sources of emissions are really fertiliser production and, and methane from livestock and deforestation and then various other things from there but they're really the big the big main the main three cam you've been counting carbon planting trees doing lots of sustainability practices for a long time what are your practical tips on how farmers might approach carbon on farm and, and the whole topic and what can they do about it? <laughs> the whole topic, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 my first one would be to say don't panic. Yeah. Okay. There's almost a bit of a frenzy around this now and people are worried. And I think the first thing that we need to keep in mind is we've got this thing in our head about 2030 when in fact the commitments, international commitments, are to 2050. So it is carbon neutral by 2050. There are some organisations and bodies that have aspirational targets to reach 2030, meat and livestock being one of them. So everybody would be familiar with the carbon neutral by 2030, but it is an aspirational target and the actual target that Australia has 
committed themselves to is carbon neutral by 2050. So we don't have to do everything by 2030. Not every farm has to be carbon neutral by 2030. So that's the first thing. We just take a bit of a deep breath on that. (laughs) Having said that, it doesn't mean that we can just sit back and wait for something to happen. I think we can be proactive now in starting to move towards that. And so I would say to people, engage with this issue because it's not going to go away. But at the same time, do things that are sensible for your business. Don't do things that are going to affect your potential operation further down the track because you think I've got to do something today to get there. Can you give us a bit of an example about a decision-making process that a, that a farmer might consider to maybe just start the process of counting carbon or, or start to make some practice change in their business? Yeah, so the, the first one, and it's, it's almost a, what do you say, an obvious one is you need to know where you're at at the moment. And so I would encourage people to understand what their emissions are at the moment. So there's, there's two sides to the, the ledger. There's the emissions side that your farm operation is generating. And then there's the sequestration side, which is the capturing of some of that carbon, either the carbon you're creating or carbon someone else is creating. You can get a, a, a credit or a, um, a recognition for having reduced starting point I say for everybody is just understand where you're at we've got tools free tools that are available to do that calculation the only warning or caveat I'd put around that is look for a tool that does meet the Australian government standards because I think in the long run there are some tools out there that are quicker and easier to do and use but they have I think in the long run will have limitations and won't be recognised further down the track. So if you're going to go to the effort and enter this space, enter it and use some of the tools that do meet the, the Australian standards. Once we understand that number, then we know, well, whether you're good, bad or ugly, but it gives you a bit more of a, a context around, well, how much do I have to do and how much change do I really need to achieve to move down this path? Where can people access those sorts of tools, Cam? The tools are evolving all the time, or the access to those tools and tools that are suitable for an individual farm level are evolving all the time. First one I'd recommend people go to is the Primary Industries Climate Challenges Centre. I've got to get the acronym <laughs> up. P-I-C-C-C. That's based at Melbourne University. And Richard, Professor Richard Eckhart has been the one that's sort of been leading that. But they have tools that are Excel-based, and if people have got even some just rudimentary understanding of how Excel and spreadsheets work, those tools are really useful to use. And they meet the Australian standards, and when things change, they update those tools all the time. And then there are other ones like Meat and Livestock Australia have got a tool that's got the Meat and Livestock logo on it, but it's based on the Melbourne University tools. Dairy have got the same thing. So a number of different industries have now built their tools on on that basis, and that's where I'd start. And we can put a link in the show notes for anybody who's keen to look at any of those tools. Cam, you talked a little bit about the things, changes that people might need to make or might like to make. Can you give us an example of some of those changes that might have an impact on on your carbon account? Yeah, they're... they're two sides of the ledger one is there are things that we could focus on in our businesses to 
for want of a better term, be less polluting or be more efficient. And the key ones, and what we've got to realise, say, if it's a livestock business, is the main contributor that is being counted at the moment is methane, methane from, from livestock. So the more efficient we can make those animals, so to speak, the less emissions we'll have. And, and they're things like making sure that the animals that we've got in our farmers are as productive as they can be, as fertile as they can be, grow as fast as they possibly can. So there are things we can do on the, the animal side of it for a cropping business. It's things about use of nitrogen fertiliser in particular. So nitrous oxide, unlike livestock, which is mainly methane, nitrous oxide is a big issue in the cropping game. And so looking at our use of nitrogen, other things like whether we're burning stubbles or not, they're the big ticket items that we can start to look at. So if you use the tools, you can then start to understand if I changed this or did something, what would be the impact on my emissions? And that's a really good place to start. And what I say to a lot of people, a safe place to start because you're not committing anything. You don't have to share that with anybody, but you can start to understand where your business sits relative to others. Then on the sequestration side, which is the capture of it, looking at opportunities in trees and in soils are the two areas. So in a way, agriculture is fortunate because we do actually have the opportunity to sequester things where if you look at somewhere like you know, business like Qantas, <laughs> they don't have soil and land to be able to do the sort of things that potentially we can do in agriculture. Yeah, for sure. Sam, Cam's touched on most of these points already but i'll just go to you can you tell us a bit about just in your experience people that you might have worked with what can individual farm managers who are wanting to implement a strategy on their farm what what can they do to help do that yeah well, as as cam said it, it's really understanding where your biggest emission uh, points are and and tackling those first it's it's the big tickets ticket items you know diesel diesel is sort of famously making a big contribution to CO2 emissions, but when you look at the farm accounts, it's actually really quite small. The biggest ones are that methane and urea, predominantly. And, and this is ones that we can actually do something about. Now, if you're going to look at the difference between methane and urea and what control you have, well, you don't really have as much control over the way the rumen digests grass at the moment to the level that wouldn't be needed to affect emissions. You do have more control over how you might use something like, like urea. So any efficiency method that you can come up with, there's plenty of knowledge in, in the regions on that, on that thing. There's plenty of, um, plenty of products, there's plenty of practices that can reduce your use of that particular pollutant. It is 2.5% of the world's emissions thereabout. It's more, more pollution comes from nitrogen fertiliser production than all of aviation. So in a lot of cases, that's sort of the big an example of the big ticket item that people can tackle. We touched on it briefly before, but can you tell us a bit about that happy coincidence of carbon? Happily, it turns out that it seems like measuring carbon, it, it's, a, it's a reasonable kind of coefficient for pretty good land management practice. It's almost impossible to be, well, we think it probably is impossible to be a very bad farmer and increase or even maintain uh, carbon in, in your landscape really you know poor management of forest areas or of your or, or um, you know al allowing areas to erode that really should be in biodiverse planting or even a, even a plantation dare I say it these things are related 
related to carbon, very poor soil management. Poor soil management really can lead to that degradation of carbon. One of the things that I think that has come out from a lot of the reading that I've done is that if you can increase your productivity and get some gains, as Cam said, in things like weight gain and reduce time to slaughter, those sorts of little things, they can make an, an impact in your carbon account as well. Yeah, that's right. That's related to emissions intensity. So obviously if, you, if that lamb's on a week less, then it's emitting methane for a week less. Again, that's related back to productivity gains. I guess this is sort of, it's a bit of a, in a way, it's a bit of a gateway drug that we've ended up, <laughs> we've ended up getting all this money starting to flow in now that's under the guise of, of carbon emissions. But what's actually happening for us in agribusiness and us in agriculture is that there really is probably a revolution in soil science going on at the moment. And it's really carbon that might have just creaked the door open for that. We've already been doing animal, animal nutrition based on animal health, resilience and production for a long time. We're very good at that. Maybe it's not quite a revolution in animal nutrition, but it's, it's another step to start to look at methane emissions. Maybe that's a measure that we might think that maybe we should have paid more attention to this in the past and whether there's production gains to be made there. And not just in the way we feed them, in, in genetics and how we, how we feed them. Uh, early in their lives or middle of their lives or whatever it happens to be so there's just rest assured there's a lot of investment a lot of effort going into that at the moment and and the worst possible thing that can happen is we end up with a better performing animal what should we be a bit careful of in this space and making sure that we're getting information from the right place i think it probably helps to be a little bit commitment phobic at the minute (laughs) relatively short time that i've been you know, really involved in this area, it's, there's been some pretty significant changes and it's a hot political potato. And our political cycle is, you know, that three to four years. So <laughs> we don't, not many farm businesses operate within a political cycle time frame. You know, we're seasonal, we get to make a lot of our decisions only once a year. Be a little bit perhaps commitment phobic, I think is probably the, the, main, the main way I feel about it but it really just comes back to understanding more practically, you know, the, the get back to why we're doing this in the first place, it's emissions. Emissions is causing the problem. What can you actually do about that? Do you have a dairy shed on farm that's using a lot of electricity? Where's that electricity coming from? Is it coming from a coal generator? Can you find it, is it financially viable to chuck some solar panels up? Bang, you've reduced your emissions. Can you cover the airflow pond? to collect the methane from there, bang, you've reduced your emissions. Can you use your fertiliser more wisely? Can you do something more about your animal performance as far as getting them off the place faster, getting them up to weight faster? There's your reduction in emissions. So it's, again, they're, they're probably the, the main things and not get too caught up in in the hype that's happening because it's really, it's kind of generating itself as it goes along but there's some real core fundamentals that us in ag can can hang on to and not get too tangled up in that. Mm. Cam, have you got some places that people might be able to go for some reliable resources in this space if they're not quite sure where to start? The PIC website has some fantastic resources and videos on that that are really worthwhile looking at. I tend to go to those sort of credible sources then maybe just google someone that's got a theory on how we can do such and such in farming you know they always do make me a bit nervous (laughs) 
Cam, you'd sort of talked about it a little bit before, but can you give us a bit a bit more of an idea about what are your top tips for farmers who are considering implementing some kind of carbon practice or some kind of performance improvement in, on their farm? First thing I'd probably say is that we are carbon farmers already. Yeah. We always have been. That's the way our system works. You know, we're, we're taking a invisible, odourless gas out of the atmosphere, relying on a plant through photosynthesis to grow stuff. And that stuff, we either an animal harvests it or a header harvests it, and some of the residual that's left behind, either in the material on top or in the roots, ends up in the soil and feeds the soil and, and feeds our system. So we're all carbon farmers and have been since year dot, otherwise we, we wouldn't be farming. What's changed now is that we've got a focus on trying to increase how much of that we capture, I think. And that's the way I look at it. This carbon farming, all it's about is how can we crank that up a bit more on one side and then on the other side how can we reduce the emissions that we've got and it's the two of those that have got to go hand in hand the other thing that's being asked for obviously is we start counting it we're in the past we haven't been counting it so these calculators and what are your levels of emissions or as sam said you know what are your emissions intensity that markets are wanting it's just a count an accounting exercise now of something that we've already been doing so my tip would be and I, I said this at the start understand what your emissions are and whether you've got opportunity there and then understand while we are capturing carbon at the moment are there ways that we could capture more carbon and how can we calculate that or or measure that in a way that allows us to then trade one off against the other because that's the way you get to if you want to be carbon neutral <laughs> you have to know what you're emitting and what you're sequestering or capturing yeah. and when you get it to zero you're carbon neutral Beautiful. Just as easy as that. It is. <laughs> I don't know what all the fuss is about. <laughs> Cam, we've heard a little bit about offsetting and insetting, and I think it's a little bit confusing unless you know really what you're talking about. Can you explain those two terms to us and how they relate to us on farm? So when the carbon issue sort of first raised its head, people were seeing or being told there was enormous opportunities to create carbon on your farm and sell it and so that's what we'd call the offsetting type bit and creating what a lot of people recognise as ACUs, Australian Carbon Credit Units. The thinking has changed now with a lot of farmers because they recognise that if they create those types of credits on their farm and sell them to someone else then they're responsible for those credits going forward but they can't use them themselves because they've sold them to someone else to use as a an offset against their emissions. So the focus has quickly come back on to how can I get recognised for the carbon that I'm capturing on my farm, keep it on my farm and use that as a offset against the products I'm producing. You don't want to have to create products and they have a certain level of emission and then have to go to the market and buy accus that you've created on your farm and buy them back again mm -hmm. so this idea of insetting has become a, a real focus for people at the at the moment can you explain a bit more about the insetting term what what might people do to to make sure that they are insetting to future proof their business the concept of insetting is that you run in a sense a carbon type project 
but you do that that just allows the recognition of that for your farm. So it's not a tradable commodity as such, but it's a something that can be used to offset against emissions that you may have on your farm. And the two broad areas that we've got in that insetting space is uh, trees or vegetation, and the other one is in soils. Now, the... The schemes aren't necessarily in place at the moment to be able to do those today, but they will certainly be coming up in the future. And I would be strongly encouraging farmers to think about that because the calculations by the experts is that we will need all of the carbon that we've got potential to capture on our farms to offset our own farm emissions and we're not going to have anything to sell. And the message previously has been you can do both. Mm. And the word on the street now is you can't do both. Yeah. And I think for most most farmers, their main game is they want to keep producing what they're producing, whether it's grain or meat or whatever it might be. They're not in it for carbon farming. We know we might have to, we'll have to do that, but let's make sure we've got some offsets in there that we can continue carbon farming, continue our own farming operations and producing the food and the, and the fibre that we need to for the world but at the same time have credits in our back pocket that allow us to be able to reach that carbon neutral target and still keep doing the farming we love to do. Sam what's your final word on carbon? Philosophically I suppose I get it just frustrates me a little bit um, or annoys me a bit that there might be some fear uh, amongst farmers and, and farming communities that, that, that what will come with this really it should be the fossil fuel executives there they should be afraid that the owners of the cement factories and the urea factories that create the emissions there the ones that should be afraid for them the capacity for them to reduce their emissions is a, is a possibly a little bit more difficult road in ag however you know there's there's a lot of hope um, first off we're we're probably, I think the number's around 40,000 farm businesses in Australia, small, medium and very large enterprises. We're a force and we actually, our emissions profile, there are things that we can definitely do things about. And the knowledge doesn't have to come from the middle of Sydney or the middle of Canberra. The knowledge is in the regions. The, the knowledge is in the NRMs and the catchment management authorities and the land care groups and and local growers, you know, some of the best far carbon farming farmers in the world exist right now today, and they are in Australia, and they are producing food. Just because we haven't gone there and put it on an account or put it on a website doesn't mean it's not happening. It is happening. There is someone in every region that already knows how to do all this that's already well and truly carbon negative. There's a lot of hope for us in this, I think. I don't think we have really much at all to be afraid of. We've got a lot of common interest here, a lot of a lot of um, good to do, and a lot of tools to do it with. Mm. I'm really positive about once this sort of current evolution, because it is evolving, carbon accounting, carbon markets, it's evolving. It's evolving flat out. It definitely hasn't finished evolving nowhere near. It's gone through no really serious competitive cycle yet, like. For instance, if you want to sell your stock in a sale yard, you've got a lot of different agents to choose from. You can choose the one who's going to do the cheapest price and the best deal. At the moment in carbon, we don't really have that. We'll get there, but it hasn't happened yet. But again, we actually already know how to do what we need to do. And in a lot of cases, we're already doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so so I think, um, no, I think the future's pretty, pretty bright for us on that front. Good. Cam, what are your final words on carbon? couple of things. Meg, first one, 
would be that I think technology is going to play a increasingly important part in getting us to, to carbon neutral. There is a lot of investment at the moment, say for things like rumen modifiers, nitrogen, particularly things like urea, which we're starting to get now with inhibitors and different formulations of those products, which will mean that the losses, if you like, are, are going to be less. Not all of them are here now and we can use today, but they will evolve over this next period of time. And just as I keep saying to people, don't think of the last seven years, because <laughs> it's not 2030, we're looking at it's 2050, okay? So they will evolve over time and we will integrate them into our business because it makes sense to integrate them into our business. But the final word, and I, I use this quite a bit, an analogy of a school bus, so if everybody can think of a school bus, and I say to people, get on the bus, and the bus being the, the carbon train as it is, and I don't mind if you want to be the goody two-shoes up the front and lead it like they are, <laughs> or you reckon school sucks and I want to sit in the back of the bus and play up, but at least get on the bus, okay? Be on that journey, because if you're not, you'll get run over by it, okay? So I, I just think, yeah, get on the bus. Thanks, Cam. I, I didn't love school, but... Um, <laughs> Did you sit at the front or the back of the bus? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, beautiful. Cam and Sam, thanks so much for being here today and for sharing your insights into carbon in agriculture. It's been a pleasure to have you both and to draw on your knowledge. Thank you, Meg. Thanks for thanks. having us. Today's episode is supported by the Limestone Coast Landscape Board through funding from the Australian Government's National Land Care Program. Thanks for listening to The Prosperous Farmer, a McKillop Farm Management Group production. You can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube at McKillop Group or check out our website at www.mckillopgroup.com.au. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>